summer is kind of the summer of uh, topical sermons. It's kind of a smorgasbord. I've got some. John's got some. Craig's got some. It's a preaching potluck. So uh, today, here's the dish I'm bringing. Uh, this is the third in my four-part series on Scripture. And, uh, and then I'll preach again next week, and then I'll be on vacation for a couple weeks. So let's read Acts 8, starting in verse 26. Hear the word of God. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I? unless someone guides me. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep was led to the slaughter, like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself? Or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water. And Philip and the eunuch, uh, Philip and, the eunuch and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way, rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are alive and well, and by your spirit you are uniting us to your people teaching us your word. And so we pray this morning that you would do just that, that you would extend your ministry even here in our midst and instruct us that we would learn, that we would be encouraged and humbled, and especially, Lord, that you would bind us together as a people. Do these things for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, our first round of our sermon series, we thought about what the Bible is and what it means to believe it. And we answer that saying it's, it's really a, uh, God's testimony. It's a covenant document. And so in our second sermon, we said, okay, uh, well, what does it mean that we come to know God through a book? And we noticed that, well, we, we come to know God through his sworn covenant promises. This week, I want to turn to the question of church and scripture. Why does this book always come with a people attached to it? Uh, do you have to have the church? Uh, why not just read the Bible on your own? Uh, and it's not just about reading your Bible either. I think uh, the fact is that many of us would rather do Christianity on our own in general. Uh, we like the church as long as it doesn't challenge us in new ways, uh, doesn't offend us, or as long as it matches our kind of personal approach to life. And so 
you end up with affinity-based churches. Well, we're a homeschooling church, or we're a Republican church, or we're a whatever church. But once we've lost the kind of loving feeling of being excited about this new group, uh, we move on. And I'm not saying there can't be good reasons for leaving a church, but that they're rare. I've seen this a bunch uh, with people coming into the church and leaving the church. I've seen it in my own life as well. And I have personally struggled with the church for a long time. I grew up in the church and saw a ton of hypocrisy. Uh, lots of shallow love for God. That is to say love and, and lip service, but no actual life. Uh, lots of weak and kind of uh, petty thinking about God and the world. And I'll just tell you, as someone who has very high expectations of truth and honesty and thinking about things, I was more than disappointed. I was, I was really frustrated. So I had lots of ammo to critique and shoot criticisms at the church, uh, and I think for good reason. And yet, I, I came to know the Lord and love the Lord and know the Scriptures and love the Scriptures because of the church. So I was frustrated and disappointed with the church, but I was stuck with her. <laughs> right? What do you do with the church? She's kind of annoying sometimes. So what's at root here is really... Uh, a sense that we would be better off on our own. It would be easier to do this by myself. If you want to get something done right, do it yourself. We wouldn't be in conflict. Wouldn't have to listen to other people. Wouldn't have to submit to or love anyone else. And there'd be so much less mess. If we could just know God and understand Him on our own, it would be so much easier. The problem is that God insists that if you're going to love Him, you have to love his people too. That is to say, if you're going to love the groom, you have to find a way to love the bride as well, annoying as she may be. So what do we do with the church? What is God up to in the church? Do we really need the church to know him? And that's really the central question here. In order to know God and understand his scriptures, do we really need the church? My answer is yes. You could probably figure that out. But here's a few points on this. First, we learn Scripture in church as a community. God has us learn as a community. Second, we reform the church as a community. Because third, God is actually at work in and through His church community. So first, we learn Scripture in church as a community. This is the longest, and we'll pick up from there. Turns out that when we say the Bible's a covenant book, we have to recognize that God never makes covenants with one person alone. He makes a covenant with Adam for all humanity. He makes a covenant with Abraham for all of his descendants. He makes a covenant with Jesus for everyone who believes in him. Right? The whole entire cosmos is in view. God's word always comes to us in community because God creates community by his word. Let's just think about the passage we just read in uh, chapter 8 of Acts. Uh, this Ethiopian already has God's word in his hands. In fact, I mentioned a friend of mine who came to know the Lord by reading the Gospel of Luke a few weeks ago. Much like her, has the Bible in their own hands. And yet, it's not enough. The Lord doesn't just send him off with the prophet Isaiah. So he sends Philip, who uh, is likely one of the first deacons we read about, and he tells him to walk off into the desert. <laughs> which uh, I wouldn't want to be told that. <laughs> Go walk off in the desert. I mean, you can imagine him sweating his way downhill. Lord, what in the world are you doing with me? God cares so much for this African man that he sends Philip on this fool's errand out into the desert so that he could happenstance run into him. And so he could climb into the chariot and explain what these scriptures are talking about. That is to say, God very intentionally has the church 
involved in our coming to know the truth about him. He intentionally places people in our lives and places the church as the people who teach us about the scriptures. Well, what's God up to in doing that? Why would he make us learn in community? Uh, I'm a strident individual, so it gets under my skin a little bit. But uh, God is doing two things here. One, he's interested in making us into a body. And the other is that because of the way we learn, that is we learn by doing, he makes us learn as a community. So first, God makes us into a body by teaching us in community. Uh, You have to remember, I just need to say this every week, the church is not like a country club. That model is you pay in a certain subscription. Maybe, you know, people think of that as their tithe. And then you expect services and kind of benefits from that community. But actually, that's the opposite of the way the church works. The church is a body where the body depends on its members for its life, for its communal shared life, each part doing its piece. And that means that we are meant to rely on each other, to depend on each other's gifts without being embarrassed. I get to benefit from the things you're good at, and you get to benefit from the things I'm good at. And what this means is that we don't need to be experts to read the Bible. You're called simply to crack it open, but to crack it open and read it with help from other people. Listen, there are people in our church, I don't know if you know this, I'm not talking about myself and Nate, I'm talking about members in our church who when they open the Bible, it makes good sense to them right off the page. And they have rich times reading the scripture and pouring over it in ways that would be difficult for a lot of us. And you need to know that that's a, that's a kindness to them. That's a special gift God has given them, but it's not for them. It's not for them. God has given them that ability to be blessed by reading this ancient text for the good of everyone else. I mean, this is exactly what we're called to do. We get to ask that person for help in understanding. How can I understand unless someone guides me? But that requires curiosity from us. And by curiosity, I'm actually meaning that as a code word for humility. If you're a humble person and you're interested in things besides yourself, it makes you curious makes you interested. And so if we approach each other with a curiosity about the scriptures and about, oh, what do you read in the scriptures? How do you understand this verse? That is how the Lord intends to actually deepen our own understanding of what he's doing and saying to us. But curiosity also takes courage because you have to be willing to appear stupid for a second at least, right? You have to be willing to say something or try something out and say, I think this is what it means, but maybe I'm wrong. It takes courage to actually read the Bible in this way and try and understand it. And it takes courage to ask people for help and to have them speak into your life. I think sometimes when we come to read the Bible, we're tempted to always start with the experts because they know what the real answer is. And if we listen to them first, then we won't get it wrong when we share our thoughts with other people. But I'll just tell you, that is not the way the Lord designed it. He did not design you to listen to Jen Wilkin or R.C. Sproul or Herman Ritterboss or whoever your favorite pocket expert is. He has designed it so that you would read the scripture first and then go into the community of people and ask for help. Absolutely. I read experts all the time. But the Lord would have us come in with curiosity and courage as a community. And that's because we are called to learn by doing as we come together to the text, what happens is we are being put in the saddle. And we said last time, 
it's only by being in the saddle that you actually learn how to ride a bike. You don't, you don't learn how to ride a bike by mastering the physics. You have to actually get in. That's the same for the Bible. To understand what a passage means, you have to understand how it speaks to the situation you're in right now. Or you don't really understand it. And that means that as we serve each other, as we annoy each other, as we bless each other, as we offend and forgive and reconcile, and the whole richness of our community life is brought together, our understanding of Scripture is deepened. That means that is what it means to be in the saddle. And so it's only by following the Lord in church community that we can come to know Him. And that, by the way, is the best thing about Bible study. You get to be in a safe place where everyone assumes we're all learning and you get to not only ask questions, but actually you get to have conflicts with another person and work through them and reconcile. And you know what happens when you do that? You begin to realize what love actually means. You begin to love that person and begin to see what the Lord's doing in them as a result of that relationship. And that is a much deeper reading of Scripture. I remember... Um, when I was 16, I had just begun to read the Bible. I didn't even know you could do that. No one told me I should just read it. It's very simple. So I started reading the Bible after having some encouragement to do it. And I was working my way through Galatians and understood a lot of it, kind of big picture, okay? Uh, grace, not law. The Spirit, not works. You know, the Lord's alive, good. Um, at the same time, I was also meeting with two other guys every week. And we'd kind of debrief the week. We'd confess sins and acute struggles with uh, temptation and pray for each other, and it was a sweet time. Uh, one of the guys, uh, one week, had mentioned something he was struggling with, and I just thought it was ridiculous. <laughs> and so I tore into him. Dude, what is your problem? You just need to quit it already, you know? Like, come on. You know, the reason you're doing that is because you're not doing this, this, and this. And if you do those things, it wouldn't be a problem. I basically gave him a bunch of rules that would help fix his sin. The third guy in the group looked at me and said, hey, you know, I, you're right. It's a problem. We do need to stop. That's, that's something that needs to be dealt with. But let's just look at Galatians real quick, the very book you're reading. And he went to the passage I was reading that week and started to explain. You know what actually changes people is grace. And you know what you're not giving to your friend right now? Grace. Uh, I, I got the gist of Galatians, but it wasn't until someone actually pointed out my own blindness to what Galatians meant that it really began to have any kind of depth. It wasn't until I was in relationship where I could be called to account and I could be shown from another person what this meant that I began to see how blind I was to it in myself and in the way I thought about other people. But that took risk on my friend's part. If you've ever been that person, you know it takes risk to actually say the words to that person. And so we learn in community to benefit from each other. We learn by doing, but we learn at a great cost, huge cost. I'm not sure if you noticed this, but every single scripture reference we used so far has included some mention of persecution. And it's no different this week. Let me just, we'll begin in First Tim, uh, Second Timothy 1, and we're just going to read part of this for now. It's a beautiful passage. This is Paul at the end of his life writing to Timothy. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. 
not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I've believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. It's still uh, no casual thing to speak the truth of the Bible to another person. Actually explain what the text means to someone uh, means you're taking on risk. It always comes at a cost to learn. And anyone who says it, it's not costly and following the Lord doesn't lead you into hardship is selling something or just selling themselves. They want you to like them. Because to learn means you have to open yourself up to saying something stupid, to asking questions, to feeling confused. You, to learn, you must be open to being ashamed and experiencing that. For others to learn, you actually have to be willing to say things that no one else wants to. That is the same act of faith, albeit on a much lower uh, level, as the people who would willingly preach the gospel, knowing they'll be in prison for 10 years. It's the exact same posture of faith that says, you know what? I'm going to trust the Lord with the consequences of this. And that is what's at root in our learning. But this is where the community is one of the greatest blessings. We are called to risk and learn with Jesus, but we're, we're actually called to do it together. Right? Uh, you run the risk of persecution, of uh, being shamed, and yet, guess what? You get to be in a whole co cohort of people that God has put you with. There's a whole company across the world, and even in this local church, that you get to do this with, that you get to risk with. And we become your safety net and encouragement. That's what the church is designed for. So if we could be curious and courageous together, in uh, learning together, in blessing each other as we read, and being helped graciously, uh, we will begin to see that learning, learning the scriptures in particular in community, is meant to be a vehicle of God's grace. It's meant to be the thing that teaches us just how gracious of a teacher God is, just how patient of an instructor He is, that is to say that he reveals his grace through us as a church. So if you needed any more reason to join the women's Bible study on Wednesday mornings, I, um, I don't know what, what more you need. This is one of the best opportunities in our church to be with other women studying. I know Jesse's going to start an evening women's Bible study this next year as well. Please jump on that. Uh, men, if you're interested in doing something like that, please come and talk to me. But with all this emphasis on teaching and reading and community, does that mean that the truth of Scripture is something that the community decides? Is truth relative to a community? And that, that's our second point. And the answer is no. Second point is we reform the church as community. Or better put, we use Scripture to reform the church as a community. Uh, truth is not something that depends on community. Uh, it's something that confronts a community. And what's going to happen as we begin to read the scriptures together, inevitably, is that there will be things that the Lord says to us, things that we see in the Word that must confront us as a community. I want you to know that that's not just allowable. 
It's not simply allowable that you would bring truth to confront our community. It is your duty as a Christian to listen to the scriptures and speak it into this body that we would be shaped. In fact, we are actually uh, coming up on the 500th year, 5th, 500th, that's how you say it, 500th year of the most critical moments when listening to the scriptures and spirit meant opposing the church and the teaching and practice of the church. It's the Reformation. That's a great example of what happens when people as a community start listening to the spirit in the scriptures. And Martin Luther or John Calvin, they grew, grew to oppose the Roman Catholic Church of the 1500s because they were so steeped in Scripture. They, they knew what it said plainly. But the question for us is, how, do you actually, how are you able to criticize the church? Because uh, many of us will have complaints about the church that actually might reflect more about us than about the church. The, the thing here is we have to develop an ear for the church. We have to develop an ear for who the church should be and what the Scripture's church teach she has been. So how do you develop an ear for the church? Well, the answer is that you have to not only listen to Christians in this community, you have to listen to Christians in the past, too. That is to say, tradition. Tradition is a guide for us in using Scripture. Uh, Calvin and Luther didn't just read the Bible. In fact, you can't get like more than a page in Calvin's works without reading something about what this early church father said or what that early church father said. Uh, he knows the history of the church. And so, he knew when it had lost its way. But, you know, um, many of us have been in these churches, and there are some traditions in America that would say, uh, as a church, we, have no, we, we don't practice tradition. We just do what the Bible says. We have no creed but the Bible. Um, and that's a problem for a couple reasons, uh, one of which any, any tradition that says it's had, it has no tradition is uh, questionable, right? Uh, but the, probably the biggest problem with that approach to the Bible, it says we don't need to worry about creeds or anyone else. We're just going to read the Bible by ourselves. Uh, the biggest problem is pride. And this is something we can be just as guilty of. If we learn who God is, and we learn the scriptures by listening to other people in our church today, how much more will we learn if we also listen to wise and godly Christians of the past? Uh, our blind spots will be pointed out. Our joy and love for the Lord will be deepened uh, if we would be humble enough to listen to our forefathers in the faith, who, by the way, have gone through horrendous and magnificent things. There is so much depth of life in the history of the church. And we miss it because we tend to think that the Spirit is only active in our day and age. You know, now we really know what's going on. We, you know, we have the, the whole story. Or perhaps we think the Spirit has only been active in the Western Reformed tradition. And so we ignore what the Lord has been doing in the church in Latin America, or Asia, or Africa. But we have to remember that wherever the Word goes, the Spirit creates a church. And so God has always been working among His people by His Word. For thousands and thousands of years, God has been saving people into His body, shaping and guiding them and deepening their understanding of Scripture for our benefit. So it's a little proud to think that as latecomers on the scene, in one corner of a niche of a corner of a scene, we know what's best and don't need to consult others. But we also have to see that the Bible itself tells, that, tells us to learn from tradition. Look at the rest of uh, 2 Timothy 1 here. 
I'm going to read uh, verses 13 through 14. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within in us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And then a few verses later in chapter 2 there. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul tells Timothy to follow the pattern of sound words he got from Paul. That is to say, to keep the apostolic tradition. Paul teaches the apostolic tradition. Timothy is meant to keep it and entrust, what? The tradition to others who could teach it. Uh, the church is this repository of the way that God's people have understood the scriptures and practiced them for millennia. So if we learn by doing and we learn from other people, we should learn from people who've been doing it for millennia. We learn from the church over the ages. And in fact, this is exactly what Philip is doing with this Ethiopian. The Ethiopian says, do you understand these scriptures? Can you explain them to me? And Philip, who was not an apostle, opens his mouth and teaches this African man what the apostles taught about these scriptures. This is how you interpret them. You know, uh, most of the year after the sermon, we profess the Apostles' Creed. During the summer, we do the Lord's Prayer. Uh, but the Apostles' Creed is exactly what Philip is doing here. It is the early church's map for reading the Bible. This is what the apostles taught. And if you read the Bible in any other way, you're missing, a, you're missing the point. The way you interpret the scriptures has to fit with what the apostles have taught. And that's, in fact, um, why we have doctrinal standards in our church. I don't know if you know this, but we're a Presbyterian church. And so uh, to be a, an officer, an elder, a deacon, or a minister, you have to subscribe to the Westminster Standards of Faith, uh, Confession and Larger Catechism. Um, those are our doctrinal standards. We think that they best summarize not only what the scriptures teach, but what the church has believed down through the ages. And yet, those standards are not what get us up in the morning. Hopping hop day in Westminster standards, all right. No, 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 it is Jesus that gets us up in the morning, right? Jesus is the one that we love and care about, and it's his kingdom we want to see thriving. And yet... We need standards like a train needs tracks. Because the moment we lose our bearings, the moment we go freewheeling, we will easily, easily begin to make the Bible say whatever we want it to say. And I don't just say this about us, I say this about the whole history of the church. This is what happens. Every time you get something weird in any church, it's always because someone has gone off and said, you know what, I know that everyone thinks this passage says this, I know what the truth is. I'm going to figure this out on my own. If we have no rails, we will go off in strange ways. But, of course, some traditions are wrong. Right? What do you do then? Well, the whole reason the Reformation happened is with the assumption that tradition can err. This church, in our traditions, will err. We will make mistakes. And so what do we do then? Well, um, our same doctrinal standard actually says this is exactly right. 
And this is one of the reasons why we have to test everything by the word of God and the spirit. It says that the supreme judge of all tradition and the, the word in, who, in, who, in which we are to rest can be no other but the Holy Spirit speaking in the scripture. We are a community, therefore, not only of people who are called to reform, but we are a community of listeners. We're called to listen to the Spirit who speaks in the Word and who calls us to reform the church. And that's our third point. God is at work in His church community. God is at work in His church community. So let me read this to you from Ephesians 3. You don't have it in your bulletin. This is Paul talking about his calling. He says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through, through what? Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Paul says, God's epic cosmic purposes that the whole history of the world have been culminated in Jesus, those purposes are being revealed through churches, through quirky, clunky, little congregations throughout the world. That is how God is revealing his epic wisdom. Not, it turns out, through the academy. Not through having the world listen to our voice and on the academic table or in the newsreels. Not by getting another Christian university or Christian lectures at Western. Not through the state and legislating morals. And those could all be good things. But they hold no weight in God's way of doing things. He displays his wisdom through the church. The center of gravity in God's way of doing things is the church. It's the location. It's the primary way and group in whom and through whom God himself is working. And so if you'd be at the center of God's activity in life, strangely, you'd be at the center of this community's life. There's two things this means. First, it means that this is, is not my ministry. It's not Nate's ministry. It's not the elder's ministry. This is the Lord's ministry. This is the place and the people in whom the Father unfolds His wisdom. The wisdom brought about in Jesus who has called us His own. And the Spirit unfolds that same brilliance and glory and grace in our minds. This is God's ministry. He is the one who carries the real authority and from whom all the power comes. And so it doesn't matter if I'm the one speaking or Nate's the one speaking. Uh, but actually, every Sunday what happens is um, after the service, someone will come up to one of us and say, man, what you talked about today really hit home. The Lord really sank it in. And let me just tell you what's going on in my life. I guarantee you, 99% of the time, what hit home for them uh, was something that we had no idea about, Right? Or it was a total side point, third row back. You know, maybe I accidentally mentioned it, and that was the thing that the Lord sank into them. That is to say, 
The Lord's doing whatever he wants with us, and it's good. But he's doing so much more than us, and that's the delight. Secondly, though, in God's humility, he carries out his ministry through people. Through people, through you, through me. In fact, he appoints elders to teach and rule. This is one of the things that God has given us, people who know how to read the Bible. Paul says that he was entrusted with the gospel, and he tells Timothy to entrust the gospel to faithful men, which is basically a summary of what it is to be a pastor. So what is a pastor's job? What's Nate and I's job? Uh, in a word, our job is to, be a, uh, is to apprentice this congregation. To apprentice this congregation. In particular, we are called to train your ear. To train your ear. Uh, ear training is one of those things that musicians understand is like basic for all making music. In fact, I had a couple of conversations with uh, John Gross and John Harden, both of whom said the same thing. And they said, uh, if you want to sing better, you have to listen better. If you want to know how to make better music, you have to learn how to hear music better. You have to train yourself to be able to understand and receive better the things you're listening to. And that means that Nate and I, what we're really called to do is we're called to be the chief listeners. Chief listeners. Chief sinners in need of grace. But that's because uh, this is the way the Lord does things. To make the right notes, we have to first be able to hear the right ones. And that's what God is doing us, with us. He's given us authority to teach and to train you all but he's done it so that we could be listeners first, so that we could all together learn better how to listen to the scriptures. So every week we come in and God teaches us this song, right? He teaches us uh, the whole story of what he's doing, that he has uh, loved us and been kind to us and teaches us and calls us his own, and we call that worship, the whole story of our liturgy. And every week we are meant to live among each other and through our relationships and conflict and reconciliation to deepen our understanding of that song, that music. But here's the deal. The goal of all this is not for you to come and enjoy a nice performance. That's the country club model again. The goal is that you would pick up your instrument with more confidence. The goal is that you would actually join in to the very song, the very story that the Lord is bringing about through this community, through Jesus. And so God teaches us the scripture in a community so that we would learn to play together. Like a symphony, that we can make something much more beautiful than if we were being solo. There's one big difference between us and a symphony. A symphony plays music that's been scripted from start to finish our script stops halfway through. At some point, the things that the scriptures talk about aren't exactly the things we're dealing with. And so we continue to play the song, but we have to find new ways of applying. That is to say, what we're called to is much more like jazz. Praise the Lord. Okay? And that's exactly what we'll talk about next week, improvising with scripture together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your kindness that you would give us each other, that you would give us gifts in each other 
that you would go out of your way to bind us together, that we would benefit from each other. Lord, we long for these things to be true of us, that we would be curious and courageous as a community to read your word, but especially, Lord, what we long for is that your grace would be revealed in us as we do it. And so we pray you'd be with us even in the rest of this service, and as we go from here today, that we would be a people marked by your grace, your humility, especially by the work of your spirit, we pray. Amen.